Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today, you get to listen to yours truly as I fill in for Pastor Roy, who is in Israel. Our message today is from 2 Timothy chapter 2, focusing on verses 22 through 26, where we will be looking at fear versus faith. As we look at the chaotic and volatile world around us, how do we navigate as Christians in a hostile environment? I encourage you to open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and follow along. Just thinking, um, you know, as, as uh, Lorena was reading some of those words to uh, um, joyful, joyful, we adore thee, you know, kind of as a, a disclaimer before I get into anything this morning is this some of the comments I make, you may seem like this may be a political message this morning or there's some politics in it, but um, I'm not, I don't assume I'm making a political statement about a certain candidate or a certain topic um, unless I actually say so. Um, but just as I was, as I'm thinking about some of the things that have been going through my mind in the world, um, and I just kind of wanted to read just those words again from joyful, joyful, we adore, we adore thee. Uh, God of glory, Lord of love, Hearts unfold like flowers before thee. Hail thee as the sun above. And then these are kind of the words that really caught me as um, she was reading them this morning that I think fit along. It says, Melt the clouds of sin and sadness. Drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness. Fill us with the light of day. Um, and just kind of, you know, as in just the last several months and kind of the things. Um, that have been going on in our society, our country, our our world. Um, you know, I, I was starting to think like, what are the you know the big storylines that we've heard the last you know six months, six months to maybe even a year. You know, you've got the election. You know, that was a there's a lot of hostility and just the things that all. I mean, we all know what went on with that. You know, we've had um, we've had police shootings and terrorist attacks of um, you know not only in our country around the world. You've got the issue of immigration, refugees, this travel ban, you know, all this, all of these uncertainties, this turmoil. Um, you've got the whole healthcare debate, you know, along with the ongoing things like abortion and um, the LGBT, whatever other letters you want to add on there, you know. And as, as and it really kind of came to a head, I think, as as the election progressed um, and eventually came to this finish line that I. Um, you know, I could see and feel almost just like the hostility, right? And I think you can kind of understand that the tensions that have been growing in our society, um, and probably all reality, these have been these have been brewing and probably building for several years. And maybe this is a normal cycle of life. This was the other thing I was wondering this week that I'm just not old enough to realize that maybe this is the first time I've seen some of this stuff. And I'm sure some of you that have lived more. Um, years and experienced more things than I have maybe see that this is, you know, maybe this is just kind of a, a cycle um, that we're going through that maybe you've seen in the past. Um, but I think with, when you, when you combine what's been happening and then the immediate connectivity of our world with technology and, you know, the internet, live video, social media, instant news, um, it seems like the animosity and the hostility almost have just increased because of that. Um, and maybe that's just a, a, a means to be able to that. But it got to a, a point a few weeks after the election that honestly it was just like, 
you know, I, you turn on the news, you go to the social media, you go to the internet and you look at your news sites and things like that and it, it boiled to a point for me that it was just like, I, I just, I was done. I didn't want didn't to read the news. I didn't want to do, I didn't want to have anything to do with the world around me in a sense because somebody's got this opinion, somebody else has this opinion. You know, they're all loud, they're all shouting, everybody's mad at each other. Even, you know, I've got good Christian friends that I know are good Christian people that are on opposite sides of some of these, you know, issues that are, they're opposed. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you see people all around me, Christians and non-Christians, maybe Christians there in kind of quotes, they're very angry and almost vicious with those who disagree with them. And I began to wonder, as kind of all this came to a head for me personally, um, who can I trust to tell me the truth? And how do I navigate this world as we move forward? Um, I was talking um, with Manny this week a little bit about it, and he said, and I agree, it's, it's, I don't know that it's going to get better. <laughs> so how do we navigate this world that we're in, that we see ourselves in, as we move forward um, as Christians, as a believer in Christ, saying that Jesus is my Savior, and I, if I believe that, I believe it changes the way I live and act towards those around me and the world around me. And so how, do, how does that affect my actions, my words, my thinking, the way that I think? Um, and really, there's, kinda, there's two options, and that's kind of where I got the sermon title this morning. There's the fear. I, I could just hide, you know, I could unplug my computer, I could throw away my phone, I could move to northeast Montana and, and you know, avoid everything if I wanted to. Um, and that's an, I guess that's an option, but I really feel like that's um, out of fear, in a sense. I'd be living, living my life out of fear and avoiding things because I'm afraid. Um, or um, I could proceed in faith, knowing that God has a plan, and God doesn't, this isn't surprising to him. Um, and he is sovereign, and he has dealt with these things already probably more than once in the history of the world. Um, and I can go back to his word and try to figure out how does this help me. And it was during this time that I came across an article, and I, I can't remember where it was or what exactly the article said, but I remember these verses were in there in Second Timothy. So we're in Second Timothy chapter 2. And before we begin, just to provide a little bit of context, um, 2 Timothy is one of the, probably one of the last letters um, written by Paul. As he, you know, scholars think that he is probably in prison for the last time looking at the reality that death is, is imminent. You know, he's, he's not going to get out this time. You know, in the past, things have happened where he's been able to figure, he's, God's been able to get him out of there, but he realizes, um, you know, this is probably it. These are, and so the kind of his last words, he's writing to Timothy, a faithful fellow friend. He calls him his son in the Lord. So there's a very strong um, bond here. Um, he's, Timothy has spent many, you know, journeys with Paul, missionary journeys. Um, Paul maybe was probably influenced in leading Timothy to the Lord um, in Lystra, where he grew up and his family. And so there's a very strong bond. But as I was kind of realizing this and kind of looking at what's the timeline here, um, this isn't a Timothy who's, who's a young, inexperienced, um, in a sense, pastor who's kind of at a, at, a, at a church or at a city trying to figure out how this church works. 
Um, and if my Bible timeline from my study Bible is correct, you know, Timothy's not, he's, he's seasoned and he's experienced. He's spent missionary journeys with Paul. Paul has said, go here, take this letter, help this church. And he's went and he's, he's done the things that Paul has asked him to do. Um, my guess was he's probably maybe more like my age. You know, it's not like an early 20-something fresh out of seminary grad. Um, he's, he's a lot more experienced than I am. He's seen a lot more than I have. Um, but Paul is wanting to write and make sure and say, um, you know, just what reminder, reminding Timothy how to live, how Paul lived, the things that are important, you know. Um, was what, and that's, that's very typical for people, you know, as they, as they face the reality that life is, is probably coming clo- to a close here. And so, just as kind of keep that in the back of your mind as we read here in 2 Timothy. This is a very, um, just a very great letter. <clears throat> um, and so, we're going to focus mainly on verses 22 to 26, but I want to kind of c- provide the context of these verses um, in... And, jump and start with verse 11, and then also realizing the fact that Timothy has been at this church in Ephesus, um, dealing, making sure that the false teaching and some of these false teaching that some of these people were, um, were teaching and, and were proponents of was making sure that he corrected that and trying to train this church, train its leadership to, to carry on the work of the gospel and um, figure out how to get this church established and solid and provide this foundation. So he's been dealing with, um, you know, the controversies, the probably arguing. He's, been, he's probably dealt with that, that hostility of people who disagree with him, kind of like what we see in our world today. And in verse 11, um, Paul writes and he says, this saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So in a sense, this is kind of the anchor that he's saying, you can, you can throw this over the boat and when things are crazy, and this is going to hit the bottom and it's going to hold you fast. This is the truth. If you've died with him, if you've surrendered your life to him, you will live with him. That's, that's solid fact. You know, if you endure, you will reign with him. But then the, the flip side of the coin is not also not so pretty. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And if we are faithless, however, he remains faithful because God can't deny himself. And then he goes on to verses, verse 14. He says, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearer. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handing the word of truth. Notice there the focus is on not presenting yourself to other people, but presenting yourself to God. What's, what does God think of the things that you've been doing? Making sure that you are doing the right things before God. Verse 16, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hamai. Himenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. 
So he's reminding Timothy of the end goal, um, giving a couple warnings there, but also reminding him that even though um, you know, he can't see the faith of those around him and maybe you know, the, the people that are struggling with the false teaching and there's people on both sides of the fence and not really sure, um, even though Timothy can't necessarily see their eternal destiny, God knows those who are his and, and he can be faithful um, and rest assured of that. And those that name the name of the Lord will depart from iniquity. And then verses 20 and 21, he kind of just gives a real, an illustration on, really on life, where he says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Um, kind of basically saying it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside you know you could be shiny and gold and look really good um, it's what's is making sure you've been cleansed on the inside you know the, that God is you've surrendered your life to God so, and, and are working on keeping yourself from those stains of sin so that God will be ready to use you and so as, I was, as we jump into verses 22 and 26, I think the first thing we see as we, we try to navigate this world um, around us in, the, in the, the hostility and just some of the craziness that's going on, um, I think the first thing we need to realize is we need to do kind of an internal evaluation and making sure that ourselves and, and our right standing are um, presenting ourselves before God as those... Um, as one approved, those good workers, making sure we're right. He says in verse 22, he says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So we need to make sure we're fleeing the things of sin, we're fleeing the, thing, fleeing the things that will stain us, and pursuing the things that are good, right? And youthful passions, I think, is probably just kind of a general, broad term for more of those things that, you know, that you struggle with, um, that things that tend to characterize youth, right? I'm sorry, not teenagers. I'm not trying to put you down. Um, but it's just a reality that as when you're going through that time, there's things that are, are more struggles. And probably in the context of um, hostility and false teaching and quarreling and all of that stuff, um, it's probably the tendency to argue and to think you're always right. That's probably kind of main, the main thrust of it. Um, but... It's, it's kind of, in general, fleeing sin, if you want to just boil it down to something simple, um, getting rid of sin. And it's, it's interesting that the word that he uses there, right? Flee. He doesn't say fight. He doesn't say stand your ground, like it says in Ephesians. He says flee, like Joseph, right? When you have a come up against these, these temptations, these, these youthful passions, just get out. Don't even... Don't even try to fight. Just get out of the situation. Get out of the way. Um, like the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. So those are the things we're supposed to flee. And then we're supposed to pursue, kind of the opposite of fleeing, the good things. Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. You know, those are, I don't think we need to explain those. I think you all know what those are. Um, and then, but the thing that's important is, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart the community aspect of it. Not on your own, but in community with other people who are trying to do what God wants them to do. 
So as we, as we go out into the world around us, making sure we're doing the right things, we're fleeing the wrong things and pursuing the right things. And we could spend a whole message on those two verses, right? I mean, that, if, if we work on that you know, as our goal of day-to-day life, we'll probably turn out okay and things will probably be pretty good. Some of the other things will probably fall into place. Um, but kind of going back to his, Paul's analogy of the some for honorable, some for dishonorable use, the vessels that are clean and unclean, um, we need to make sure we're putting ourselves through the dishwasher of God's word in a community in a sense so we're ready to be used by God for good works, right? And you put those dishes in the dishwasher. Sometimes all they need is a light rinse. You know, you're getting, your, getting back and just a refocus real quick. Sometimes it's the heavy-duty cycle with the extra rinse because there's just, it's really stuck on there. Um, so making sure we're fleeing the wrong things, pursuing the right things as we go out in this world around us. So that's, I think, our first step. And then we come to verse 23. It says, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Right? Strong language he turns to here, in a sense. It's not, you know, the fleeing, pursuing, you know, kind of common terms, common things, but it just have nothing to do. Don't even bother with it. Don't waste your time. And he uses two descriptors. He doesn't even use one. Foolish, ignorant controversies. Okay, foolish. I looked that up um, just kind of making sure. I mean, we all know what foolish is, but some other words to help you wrap your mind around that. Dull, heedless. One Bible dictionary even said blockhead. Okay, just stupid. Okay, if you want to know what a fool is, go read Proverbs, and you'll get an understanding of what a fool is. I'm just stupid, stupid stuff. Ignorant. We all know what ignorant means. Uninstructed, unlearned, right? Ignorance is not bliss, as, they, as the saying goes. Sometimes it may get you out of a situation, but if you're ignorant of things, um, usually it's not in your best interest, Right? And I was just thinking, as uh, Vera is at that stage right now of, in a sense, ignorance. Um, she's decided that she likes to argue a lot. And she's looking at me now because she heard her name. But even if she doesn't have any clue what she's talking about, right? Sometimes she'll even contradict herself in the same thing. And she just, you know, this is kind of a, a daily thing with her now. Um, and most of the time, it's probably just because she's trying to be heard in our house above the noise of everybody else and to get her two cents in. Um, but it's, it's a daily reminder of, of just ignorance. She hasn't learned the things that she thinks she knows yet. And isn't that what we hear often in the news and in our society around us? Okay, it's not much different than a four-year-old just wanting to be heard. It's, it's a lot of people and a lot of the things we hear, a lot of the things we see is just ignorance. Um, and as I go through social media, you know, and the, some of the things that I see people that I know and the things that they think they're posting this because they think they know this person knows everything about it and it's just like, I mean, you don't have any clue. Like the big thing that comes to my mind is the, the pipeline and all of that big controversy. And I've got people all over the United States, you know, posting things about this and, and it's just like, you live halfway across the United States. And most of the things these people are saying, you, they're not even true about what's going on, but yet you think you know what's going on. Um, and so out of your ignorance and your foolishness, you, you react 
Um, but it, Paul is saying, basically, he's saying just don't even deal with it. There's, it's not worth the time, right? And what's the reason? He says it, it's because they only breed quarrels. You know where those are going to go, okay? So that's why it's not worth the time. Um, and as I was, um, something that's really um, stuck out to me in this last six months is I heard Denzel Washington, of all people, you know, not the, the best role model, but um, he was being interviewed by a reporter and he, they asked him, you know, they said, well, have you, have you heard about this, this fake news story that was being circulated about you? And, He's like, oh, yeah, you know, I was running for president, or he didn't even remember what exactly it was, but a story had been started about him that was totally untrue, um, and he made some comments that have really stuck with me, and he said, um, make sure I get his words right here, he said, when they asked him about this fake news story, he says, if you don't read a newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. And it's a lot of the times that's the truth. But then he went on to say, he said, he thinks one of the long-term effects of all of too much information in our technology age is the fact that now there's a need to be first instead of a need to be right. And so if it's first, if I'm the first one out there with whatever this is, with this new story, with this new thought, with this response, whatever it is, then that's what's going to be pushed. It's, it's the need to be first instead of the need to be right. But Paul is right that most of those things only lead to quarrels. And when they, you look up that word for quarrels, it's um, fighting without actual weapons, right? It's trying to wage war without any kind of physical weapons, but basically just trying to with our words. And a lot of times that doesn't get anywhere. It doesn't do a whole lot of good. Um, and something I've had to learn as I get older, just realizing, you know, that's not really worth the time of day. I mean, how much, how much time would we save? Or if we just took this advice, this one verse, and applied it to the news that we think that we watch, the, the news that we look at, um, our, our Facebook or social media things, if, you know, it would probably, I mean, it would just cut out a lot of the distractions, a lot of the stupid in our life because of if we just took this advice right here to avoid, to have nothing to do with it. Um, I almost should maybe put that somewhere like on my computer or on my phone, just like, you know, I'm looking at something. Is this a foolish, ignorant controversy? No, don't have to worry about that, right? It would be, it's a good barometer of the, as we look through um, and as we deal with the things of the world around us, okay? So if the answer is yes, is this a foolish, ignorant controversy? It's probably not worth the time of day. And that's what Paul is reminding Timothy. There's, there's more important things in life. Um, but if the, there is something that is important, you know, not everything falls in that category. You know, there are some things that are actually important. There is truth. That's why Timothy's there. He's dealing with false teaching. There's people that are saying, you know, this, these people that Paul mentioned earlier, they said the resurrection's already happened. People have already, you know, People have already been resurrected, and so then throwing everybody else, messing some people's faith up. Um, there are things that you do have to deal with. Okay, there, eventually there gets to a point. So what do we do with those things? We've we've made sure we're doing the right things. We've cut out the distractions that aren't even worth our time. So now what do we do with the things that we actually do have to deal with? Which there's there's going to be a lot. There's there's a lot that we're going to have to deal with. Um, he reminds Timothy in verses 24 
um, and 25 and 26, how, how we can conduct ourselves in a chaotic, um, quarrelsome world. And he says in verse 24, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So how do we deal with the things that we do need to deal with? Uh, we don't, we're not quarrelsome, right? How are we doing with that one? Are you being quarrelsome? Are you trying to wage war without weapons? Um, on, you know, this is what happens all the time on the internet and social media, the comment section, right? If you scroll through there, some person says this, somebody responds, somebody responds to that, somebody responds to that, and it's just, it, it becomes a quarrel, a war without weapons. Um, and Paul is saying, well, you don't need to worry about that. That's not... That's, that's something you need to not do, but you do need to, as we look on, we'll see how we deal with it. Um, so you don't want to be quarrelsome, kind to everyone. And that's a hard one when you're dealing with somebody who's foolish and ignorant and, and is very hostile and angry towards you and your viewpoint, right? Um, and I think of, uh, um, I think of oh, correcting with gentleness, I'll, I'll go that example there. So being kind to everyone. And I was thinking of this. Kindness is really hard to communicate with just words, isn't it? Right? We look, we, we maybe reply to something or we say something um, um, to somebody with just, in just our, our words, especially if it's words that aren't heard because your tone and your body language communicate a lot more than the actual words that you say. Um, and so as we think of like, do we, do we post things? Do we reply to things? Do we, do we argue with people um, and, and send an email or whatever it is in this chaotic world around us? Um, can you express kindness in what you're doing and the things that you're saying? Um, if, you can't, if you can't convey that kindness, um, maybe you need to find a different way to address that. You know, maybe it's not through a comment or a response or a letter. Maybe it's in a face-to-face -face conversation um, or um, going and talking to somebody or showing that you're kind and you're loving towards people, doing acts of kindness along with the, the, the correcting and the teaching. So being kind to everyone, um, able to teach. Uh, he's obviously talking to Timothy, who's probably teaching or preaching, um, but teaching is not just done from the pulpit or the classroom or a Sunday school room. Um, you can teach. Um, I think we have opportunities to teach every day. As, you know, whatever your profession is, whatever your gifts are, are you able to teach, right? In 1 Peter 3, you know, we're very common with free, 1 Peter 3.15, but if we back up to verse 14, it says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, what we maybe see, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And here's what we know. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Are you able to teach that way? Always being ready to give a defense. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Are you, are you teaching in, the, in your actions and the things that you say? Um, 
towards others and towards the world around us. Patiently enduring evil, uh, something else that's extremely hard to do. Uh, but, and I don't think, he, he's not saying stand by as evil is committed. He's saying if somebody, if you're suffering for righteousness sake, you need to be able to endure that patiently um, and, and let God handle the circumstances. And then the last thing, the characteristic of a Lord's servant there is correcting with gentleness, right? And this, is, I think, is the downfall of, I think, a lot of us as Christians and, you know, apologists, people who really are fervent and excited about defending the faith. I think a lot of times we over emphasize and go the opposite way of saying this is what's right without correcting without gentleness um, <clears throat> and you know often Christian apologists have the opportunities to debate opponents of Christianity which is a good thing um, but I came across this um, example after one such appearance some people were troubled by the Christian's combative demeaning attitude to his antagonist and his response was I did not go there to save souls, but to destroy a heretic, right? That's not correcting with gentleness, in case you didn't know. Um, the Apostle Paul would have hoped rather to destroy heresy and save a soul. Um, and I think of the two really great examples that immediately come to my mind that are good at correcting with gentleness is Ken Ham and Ravi Zacharias. If you ever watch any of the things that they do and their responses to people, it's always done with gentleness and respect um, for other people and for their beliefs, even if they don't agree with them. Um, and I, somebody has said, um, somebody once said that the greatest single turnoff for skeptics is the Christian who sets up an us versus then argument between Christianity and whatever. It's us versus you you know, we set up this hostility, we create an environment of hostility in a sense, sometimes with the words that we say. So are we able to correct with gentleness? And the end goal of all of these things that Paul ends on, you know, these characteristics that we're supposed to be described at, the end goal is there in verses 25 and 26. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will, right? Salvation, that's the end goal. Our end goal is to see as many people come to accept Christ as their savior as possible before he returns. And that should be the goal of all of our actions, our words, you know, all of these things that we're doing as we navigate this chaotic world ahead of us, that should be the goal in the back of our mind. And isn't that an interesting description of, in a sense, I mean, he's describing salvation. God may grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. They're going to come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. Um, that's the end goal. That's why Timothy is supposed to be characterized by this, these things that Paul is telling him. And that's why I think that's what needs to characterize our life as we go forward so that we can do that. And it's not going to be always. It says God may perhaps. It's not going to happen all the time. But we're hoping that it happens sometimes um, so that we can see that. Um, and the end goal is salvation. To admit that you've messed up, believe Jesus can save you, and choose to surrender your life to him. And that's, that's the goal, that should be the goal of 
all of our lives as we move forward. So as we, as we look at the chaotic world ahead of us, and as I look at it and wonder, how, how is this going to work? What's going to happen? Um, how are we going to navigate through an environment that seems hostile to our faith? Um, and I, we don't even really know what that means, I don't think, honestly. We think it is hostile now, um, but we don't understand what true hostility is. Um, we need to make sure we have our life figured out, making sure we're doing the right thing in front of, before God, you know, cut off the things that aren't even worth messing with, and then making sure our lives are characterized by these things, the, the things that need to characterize us as God's servants, to not be quarrelsome, to be kind to everyone, to be able to teach with our lives, patiently enduring evil, and be able to correct people with gentleness. Um, so that's, I think, a good uh, guide for as we try to navigate the world ahead of us. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.